0: Well, good morning, church family. Nice to be with you all again this morning, and just, uh, just in this season of Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving, I should say, just with all that the Lord makes available to us, I'm just personally so thankful. Uh, just for with my connection with each one of you guys, the connection we have in the Lord, and nothing is more. Uh, Special and to be uh, knitted together in the love of Jesus Christ, and so that's just something for sure to be thankful about. And and I suppose most of you guys realize there's only about like eight days of Christmas shopping left, right? And so while people are uh, out buzzing around and getting those last-minute uh, Christmas shopping done, the last-minute gifts and uh, and you know, but. Uh, and that's understandable, but let me ask you this, you know, what have you thought about, have you considered what you might have under the tree for Jesus? Have you considered what you might have under the tree for the one who is the reason for the season? He's a man of all seasons indeed, and the Son of Man, the, the Son of God, our Savior Jesus. And so what might be under the tree for Jesus? And so if you're looking for shopping suggestions for jesus you've come to the right place and we're glad you're here with us this morning And so we want to just go over a few things that's happening around here if uh, you're a visitor welcome but uh, i'm sure everybody got a bulletin on the way in and please visit your bulletins do you guys like the way that bulletins looking these days i mean caleb and and company are doing a wonderful job and trying to get really all the pertinent information in there it changes up every week and so we're thankful for that but Uh, So, a couple of things we wanted to let you know is, you know, we've always been a praying church, and so there's different uh, times and occasions for prayer that we have instituted. Some have been here for a long, some we've just introduced, but, uh, so just wanted to let you know, number one, every Sunday morning at 7.30 back in the children's worship room, there's prayer with Pastor Kurt. So, if you want to join in with that, you're welcome, and we ask you to, and then also, on um, Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. just before service back in the junior high class, there's a prayer uh, with myself and as we pray for just the Lord's wisdom, for the leadership and our new pastors uh, who he would bring here and in institute here. And then also at the same time, there's also in the third and fourth grade classroom, There's a prayer for um, our missions, the missions that the Lord would send us out on and uh, the missionaries that are out there that we're supporting, and that's with Bill Greer. And then, of course, Friday morning at 5.45 a.m., for those of you who are early risers with Pastor Kurt again, and that's right here in the sanctuary. And so, and even more importantly, this evening at 6, we have prayer right here in the sanctuary. So I hope you guys can... Join us as we just uh, surrender our understanding of our circumstances to the Lord and ask him to work in different areas, praying for uh, our leadership here, for the pastors, for the board, for wisdom, for direction and guidance in your lives and circumstances um, that we just don't see. Our vision is limited and he sees so much more and his vision is so much better and his ways are so much better. So just asking him and in that may he be delighted and, and just really enthroned upon our hearts. So uh, join us as, as we pray continually about all things. And so another point of information is Christmas Eve service will be at 6 p.m. We will all be here in the sanctuary with the candlelight service. Invite your family, your uh, neighbors, those who have uh, brushed you off and denied you, ask them to come out and sing some Christmas carols with us. And And uh, just allow the Lord to minister to their hearts. So come on out. Uh, No child care is provided for that. Again, we'll all be here. So uh, another matter of information for you guys is on December 26th, which is a Wednesday right after Christmas Day, and also on January 2nd, uh, we won't be having our regular service, just observing the day after Christmas and then also after New Year's. So we will not be having a Wednesday service on those days. And... um, Pastor Dell asked me to let you guys know that if you're joining him on the mission trip to Rotan, he planned on having a meeting on Sunday, uh, January 20th, right after second service uh, here in the sanctuary. And lastly, but certainly not least, I just wanted to give you a, give you a report as one of the uh, people who is privileged and just humbled to be, serve you guys as a, one of the board members. Uh, the board of directors did meet this last Friday, and everything uh, within the body is in order, from the finances to the employees to the school, and and moving right along. And the pastoral search committee is working hard, and um, we've got several candidates that are interested, and we want to bring out to uh, to meet you, and you can meet them, and we can learn about them, and be. Uh, prayerfully being considered and uh, one of them was here already uh, back in November, Justin Morris, the missionary from Kenya which him and his wife have gone back since but are scheduled to come back Uh, since then there's been others that have expressed interest and so we're hoping Lord willing to have uh, one of them come on January 6th, on Sunday the 6th and a second one on the third weekend in January so uh, again set up a time where we can meet with them and they can meet with us they can teach you can get to know them their families and and again we're just uh, still looking to the lord you know there's not going to be a vote we're not going to do it that way we're just going to allow the lord to work and just truly bring the one that he sees fit to under shepherd him in this body in this chapel that we may continue to be a light to our community here so um uh, Please uh, stay in prayer for that. Well, God bless you, Pastor Brian. We'll invite him up here to deliver you the bread of life.
1: We are in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, or a lot of people like and enjoy the notes, and those are on the app. You go to the Calvary Calvary, um, Red Bluff app. And uh, it's there and it has all the verses and much more actually as well. So this coming Wednesday night, we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter 2. Awesome, awesome stuff. If You weren't here last Wednesday, whether you come Wednesdays or not, you should listen to that message. We didn't get it videotaped, but it's audio and a life-changing message. And then the two Wednesdays after that, we will not be having service. And so um, next week, can you believe it's the 23rd? So we won't be in Samuel next week. I, I, God's put on my heart uh, a Christmas message for all of us next week. So we'll have a lot of Christmas carols being sung and, and we're going to have a Christmas message. And then um, the following week, I'm going to have a New Year's message um, on the 30th there. And uh, so we're going to take a little break for a couple of weeks to take in advantage of this season and what God's speaking It's really put some neat stuff on my heart uh, for this church in particular for the coming year. And um, as Ollie mentioned, uh, there's going to be a couple guys in January speaking and uh, we're going to see uh, what the Lord is doing in raising up the, the new pastor here. But in the meantime, God has truly, truly blessed uh, the church here in every way and it's been exciting to to see it and be a part of it. Just to let you know, you guys know, you can come early and fellowship, grab some coffee, a pastry. You can bring it in here with you if you want. Uh, some people like sipping on their coffee during the message. That's fine. And then after the service, or even before, we have oil over here. You can take communion. We have Bible, Bibles for new believers if you need that, and there's usually people in each of those after the service to be available, husbands and wives to pray for you guys, anoint you with oil. Well, 1 Samuel 25. We started in and got to the first 22 verses last week. And uh, there's basically three people. Nabal, his name actually means full, and it's a very perfect name for him. Second is his wife, Abigail. She's incredibly beautiful. And we're going to discover today, wise. And then there's David, who has just done a wonderful job in not killing Saul, even though God tested him by bringing Saul into the cave where David and all his men were. He cut his garment, and even over that, he was grieved that he had touched the Lord's anointed garment. And now... This story is right next to it. And then a very similar story uh, in chapter 26, hitting on this same point of not touching the Lord's anointed and and how you deal with that. So what had happened with David is him and his men were out watching over Nabal. It was a very wealthy man, all his flocks and herds and and, uh, not one lion or bear killed anything, no thieves stole anything, no armies of the Philistines came and and took stuff. He had the most prosperous year ever. And so it was the time of the shearing of sheep, which is a harvest time, a feast time. There is plenty. And David sent his young men to Nabal and said, hey, your servant David uh, ask of you, your son David comes to you with all respect and says, would you bless us with some of what you have? for us to eat. And Nabal, being a fool, said, who's David? He's just a runaway slave. You know, am I supposed to take care of all the slaves that run away and hide in the mountains and and in the caves and stuff? And when David heard that, he had a conniption. And uh, he told his guys 400 of them, strap on your swords. We're gonna go and we're gonna kill Nabal and everybody. And verse 21 and 22 is where we were at last week. And it says this in 1 Samuel 25, 21. Now David had said, surely in vain, I've protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good may God do so and more also to the enemies of David. He's talking in third person now. This is a little strange, a little scary when people start doing that. The enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. David here has the same heart that Saul had When he felt disrespected by the priest and Nob, when David showed up there and he gave him some bread and a sword and the word got back that, oh, the priest, they're all against you, Saul, and they're supporting David. And and Saul just took these soldiers and went and wiped out these priests and all their kids and all their wives, everything. Killed it all. And you say, well, Saul had that kind of heart because he was a wicked guy. The same heart is here. David felt slighted by Nabal. He felt disrespected, and his evil heart said, I'm going to kill them all. What did we learn on this point? We covered it last week that as Elijah, as it says in James, was a man with a nature like ours, <laughs> and he prayed. That was the difference. He prayed. Well, in this case, we could say that David was a man like Saul, or David was a man like you and me. Romans 3 says there's no one who is righteous. No, not one. So as much as we're looking at David, this man after God's own heart, this man who the Lord says he's going to sit on the throne of David throughout eternity, this incredible fellow, what we discover here is that he could succumb to the weakest weaknesses of man 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation or sin or weakness that's not common to all of us. So David didn't have an extra spiritual DNA, and that's why he was who he was. We saw him with a clear insight that God raises up, God brings down. David talks about it all over the Psalms. There's nobody raised up unless God's doing it or allowing it, and then God can bring him down when he wants, but no man should be a part of that equation. As far as me, you stay away from it. As a matter of fact, in the very next chapter, David, it's beyond clear to him because what he went through in this chapter 25. But when God put the armies of Saul in chapter 26 into this deep sleep, and David goes down with Abishai, and they're walking around, they realize once again, just like God brought Saul into the, cave where David and all his men were hiding and all his men are going, this is a sign from God. Kill him. This is your enemy. God's giving you a way out. Well, the same thing happens again. But this time when Abishai presses David, let me take the spear of Saul and kill him. He's pushing and pushing. And David said, look, this guy right here, he may die of old age. He may die of an illness. He may die in battle. But one way he will never die is by me touching the Lord's anointed. It was so clear to him. Why? What happened in this chapter? Well, we, we realize that God is bringing a testing time to David through this guy Nabal. You see, the ratio changed when David saw Saul, who better than him, greater in authority than him. He said, "He's the Lord's anointed. I need to submit. I need to show honor." Because he's the Lord's anointed. But now, this guy Nabal is treating David lesser than him. And David doesn't feel lesser than him. He feels at least equal, if not even greater than this foolish man, even though he's wealthy. And David now has no heart of submission or seeing this person as somebody God made wealthy and raised him up in authority. And in part, he's just blowing it. And of course, when God is using a time to test us, Satan is observing this, and that's a time for him to tempt us. And so in Ephesians 4, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest Satan get a foothold. And boy, did Satan have a foothold in David right now. In Proverbs 25, 28, we saw that uh, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In Proverbs 16:32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit or his emotions are better than one who takes the city. Who in God's eyes are the greatest warriors? It's those that don't get angry quick. Who are the mightiest men of honor in God's point? Those who rule over Your own spirit. These are Proverbs that Solomon wrote, and he tells us in Solomon, he tells us in in Proverbs that he learned these things from his dad. And no doubt David referencing back this, this time with Nabal. James says it clearer than anybody that the wrath of man will never bring about the righteousness of God. There is a wrath of God, but man doesn't enact it. God does. And so David would be heading into a time when he is the king, and there would in essence be nobody above him, right? I mean, there may be a few people he sees as an equal, sort of, not really much, but everybody is under his authority. And he, as a king, is going to see a lot of foolish fellows that disrespect him, maybe, or don't submit as they should, or challenge his decision-making. There's gonna be a lot of nables in his life, <laughs> a lot of foolish fellows. And he needs to understand God's perspective on this, God's heart on this. What is that? It says it plain in Philippians 2, we should have the same heart as Christ. God Almighty with all authority and power, but when he was on earth, it says that he saw everybody more important than himself. He saw everybody's interest above his own interest. And Paul says, that is the heart, who humbled himself below every single man that is not only alive, but have always existed. And he came and humbly to serve them, to be the janitor, if you would, for them. And he saw everybody above him. And he did not come to be served by anyone, but to serve everyone. Jesus did the ultimate. He took all our trash out, hanging on the cross. (laughs) He took all the sins of all men that would ever live and have lived. All our wickedness, all our evil, he took upon the cross. And he died with all our trash, all our sin on himself. And they're uh, being tortured for you and me because he came to serve you. So how is David going to not get tripped up by the nables in the future? It says in Psalms 119, David says, I, I, this is happening on a regular basis. I am cruising along, having a fine time. And then a nable situation comes and kill everybody. Isn't that horrible that happens? I was driving just a a few days ago and heading heading north, and I was in the fast lane because I was going fast. (laughs) And I'm cruising along 75, 80 miles an hour, and, you know, listen to a Bible study, a little hypocritical, huh? And uh, just having a good time, and all of a sudden this guy pulls up, going like 100 miles an hour past me, but he slowed down enough to just flip me off. That's just a finger. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that to a lot of people in the world, but yet it just, it just I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, it's it's not like I'm going 10 miles an hour in the fast lane. I'm already breaking the law. And you're mad at me that I'm not breaking the law more. And, and, and 80 miles an hour, don't get mad. Go around me if you want to go 110, but don't be mad that I'm going 80 miles an hour in the fast lane. I just, oh, my self-righteousness. I just wanted to, you know, do something. And then I just realized, oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? This flesh and that rage and those things. And, and, and David says, there's only one way I can make it in Psalms 1019. I got to daily hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. God testing me, Satan tempting me. My flesh can explode in a minute. And when I'm a king, I can kill people in a hurry. I can, I can exact my feelings of wrath almost right away. The second thing of hiding God's word in your heart and then to just live in that place to realize I did not come to be served. I came to serve everyone. I am beneath everyone. That's what God wants me to have that heart. Matter of fact, we saw in first Peter five, where he just says, look, all of you be submitted to one another. Well, who's the Lord's anointed that I should submit to them? We are all God's anointed, right? Doesn't the Bible say we're all kings, we're all priests, holy nation, a peculiar people to God? And and the fact is, is that even if the person's a non-Christian, aren't we sent to go be a salt and light in the world to to humble ourselves and and plead with them to be reconciled with God? It's not going to be a prideful thing. Hey, you sinner, listen to me. If you're arrogant about it, nobody's going to listen to you, Right? So it says, in Peter, it says, be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. God resists the proud. He hates it. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. Which person's going to get exalted? The person that has the humble heart. Not the person that's sitting around going, I can't believe you haven't exalted me yet. I'm great. (laughs) What are you waiting for, God? God. Somebody in my caliber, you should be exalting me. That person's not going to get exalted. What's the other thing? We got to realize, to this we are called, it says in 1 Peter. Called to what? Just like Jesus, who left us an example, who when he was reviled, did not revile back. When he was cursed at, he didn't curse back. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. He just... Had a humble heart as a sheep done before it sure said not a word and committed it all to the father. Therefore, all of us who are sheep have gone astray have now come and we have found our shepherd. We've been healed by stripes, by God's stripes we are healed. Did you understand that? In that place of humility, in that place of submission, in that place of seeing all men better than ourselves, everybody's interests before our interests, having that heart of Christ, that's how people get saved. Isn't it neat? We become, as we are humbled, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We begin to become exalted, powerful evangelists because we are willing to die to ourselves that life would be in somebody else. And so that's often the issue Wives saying, you know what? I'm just gonna have that meek heart of Jesus towards my husband. If the husband says, I'm gonna have that submitted heart towards one another, including my wife. What's gonna happen? Then there's gonna be life. Dying is present in you that life could then live in your marriage. That situation with the family, situation at work, with your neighbors, humble yourself, and then God can lift you up. Well, we are now in verse 23, a very long introduction. I think that's my record introduction. Uh, Verse 23, we continue with the story. Now, when Abigail saw David, so when the guys came and said, Abigail, they just turned Nathan or David's uh, 10 men away and they're angry and I I know what's going to happen. And so she's like, hurry, quick, uh, get a bunch of spoil together. And she made a caravan of meats and fruits and breads. And, and she now is going out to David she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face towards before David, bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet. Do you see how this? She put her face down. Look at that. She fell on her face before David. She bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet. Do you see this? There's just this complete humbleness before David. And then she says, On me, my Lord. On me, let this iniquity be. It's my fault. I'm the one who's been in error and sin. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your maidservant. She is gonna use that term maidservant six times. She's gonna call David Lord, not like God, but just Lord in respect, 14 times. And it says three times, she bowed. She humbled herself. There was a great contriteness. Please let my Lord, she says in verse 25, regard this scoundrel Nabal. (laughs) She's not perfect, is it? I mean, in her frustration, she realized her husband's foolishness has sort of hit a peak and that everybody was going to get killed because of his foolishness. So she's a little upset with her husband. But no woman should say that of her husband, even if it's true. And really no husband should say that of his wife, even if that's true. That's just a wrong thing, but it's okay. There's this oppressor situation here, life and death situation, so we can give her a pass. But for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, folly is his game. Oh no, folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, since the Lord has helped me back from coming to bloodshed, from avenging yourself with your own hand. Whoa. Reminds us of a verse, doesn't it? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Avenging yourself with your own hand. Now, then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord. Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. Evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet as a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, referring to Saul, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies shall be, notice these next words, he shall sling out as from a pocket of a sling. Just like Goliath, as a little boy, your entire life will look this way, God taking out your enemies. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all that is good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, this is, will be no grief to you nor offence of heart, my Lord. Either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. It reminds me of Proverbs 16:1 that says, "A soft answer what turns away wrath." It takes two to argue, right? It takes two to fight. And if you're of a calm spirit, it says also in the Proverbs. That's the sign of an understanding or wise man keeping a calm spirit. But notice what she says there in verse 28. Forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Twice she says, I'm also in sin. I share the blame in this sin. Is that true? It's interesting that we see this in the Bible more than once. Daniel one of the guys in the Bible that just seemed to be perfect. No sins attributed to him. In Daniel 9, when he's praying to God to restore Israel out of the, the Babylon, the pagan country, back to their country, he says there in Daniel 9, 5, he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by, by departing from your pre- precepts and your judgments. Daniel says, I also, not just my parents who uh, were sinful in Israel, and I as a boy got transplanted here in Babylon. I, I'm a sinner too. I, I share in this. Nehemiah, again, a guy who, we don't see any flaws in this guy, but yet in Nehemiah 1, when he's praying for God's healing from their condition, taking them back into the Jerusalem and helping them build the temple, he says, Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. What's what's the point here? It's basically Abigail saying, if, if I had been the wife helping my husband rather than just giving up on him and complaining, then... Maybe he would, this point in time wouldn't have come. You see, there is a time for silent submission. First Peter 3 says that. It says that uh, Sarah never said a word. Without a word, she never said a word to Abraham. And God dealt with Abraham and spanked him over how he was treating his wife. But then there's that time where submission is to, out of love, is to take the risk and share that difficult thing that's gonna point out their faults, their sins, their weaknesses. And if the person is being foolish but not a fool, they'll listen. But if the person is not just doing foolishly but is a fool, you'll get a scar for yourself. Probably Abigail did share with Nabal his harsh words and how it affected people or his... His rich mentality treating everybody lesser than him was giving him a lot of enemies. And and so she's saying here, I'm a part of that. Let's just think about this for us right now. We're in a tough place, California, the pagan part of the United States now. Do we share in that? As believers, yeah, we, we all are a part of that. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says there, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face I'll, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will give their sin and heal their land. We discovered throughout the scripture that one man standing in the gap is enough to turn a whole nation around. Elijah was one man and he stood against The sinful king and queen, Ahab, he confronted all the prophets of Baal. And the fact is, is that exactly here, he humbled himself. He turned from his wicked ways. He prayed and God healed the land. So we need to ask ourselves, why are things so dark here in California? Is it because Satan got stronger? Is it because sin got stronger? What, what is it? Why, why is it more dominant in wickedness? It's maybe because we're not being the salt we should be. Maybe we're not being the light we should be. Maybe if we could set ourselves still and listen to God, that maybe our heart would be burdened to really pray for change and to really have faith to believe God for change. And as God changes you, it begins to affect others around you. And before you know it, you see incredible revival. Boy, as you read church history and read about the great men of God, their situations were impossible. I think of John Wesley there in England. I read a book uh, and it described the conditions of England. It was, it was beyond imaginable. People just making tons of alcohol and selling it cheap. Nursing moms laying drunk with their baby in the middle of the street, sucking on its breast. Nobody was going to school. The queen offered money to the kids to go to school, <laughs> but they could steal more during school time than she was giving them. It was completely dangerous They were hanging people. They actually had to build several extra gallows because you could only hang during light, and they would just have hanging one after the next after the next, building more gallows. They couldn't hang everybody they needed to hang in one day. It was at the point the government was completely falling apart and melting down. And then John Wesley (laughs) came back from America as he was a missionary here and, and he, on that boat, saw the Moravians have such a faith when they thought the boat was going to sink. And he had no faith. He was in terror, he realized. But the, one of the Moravians was reading a scripture. And by grace, you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. For the first time in his life, he just believed that God would give him the gift of salvation by grace. And he had faith, and he he was strangely warmed. And he came back, and... And they began to pray for their nation. And there was a group of people that began to pray. And then the greatest revival since Jesus Christ uh, happened in church history thus far came in that time. I mean, isn't God searching for a man to stand in the gap? That he might heal the nation? But in Ezekiel 22, he found none. Is that the case here? This place is too far gone. Let's move out of state. Tens of thousands of Christians are are using that. They've literally lost hope. I I don't think it can be turned around. I don't think that righteousness is ever gonna reign in California again. Again, I think we all share in that. Lord, forgive me for not being the salt that I am supposed to be. Jesus said, if the salt becomes unsalty, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing. He says, you are the light of the world, a city that cannot be hidden, but unless you put the light under a bushel or stick the light under your bed. Is that what we've been doing? The Bible says, go into the world, make disciples. The Bible says, evangelize in season and out of season. But maybe we've just sort of toned our light down a little bit because we didn't want it to be seen we're Christians or we didn't really want to put the energy out. To to evangelize. Oh man, I could share the Lord, there's an opening, but it's a lot of work and it might get rejected. Let's just ask the question here for a second. What if Abigail said, Tomorrow I'm gonna get a bunch of food together and go see David? (laughs) What would have happened? They would have been dead. What did she have to do? She saw that wrath was coming, destruction was coming. And really, like an evangelist, she said, I got to hurry up, go out and and stand between my people and, and, and the wickedness that's coming right at us right now. And with that heart, let's just ask ourselves, if Abigail didn't do this very difficult scary, risky thing, what would have happened? David would have sinned, and and they, that whole group of Nabal and all the people with them would have died, right? And this is what the Bible says. How can they believe unless somebody tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those. And so we we see here that She's having to put a lot of energy out and and salvation comes, light comes, salt comes. And she there in verse 28, she declares the truth. David, the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house. That's radical. God will actually prophesy that later in 1 Kings. Because you, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. You're not a guy in your flesh using your power when suits you. You hear from God when you fought against Goliath. It wasn't you, it was God. And when you went down to Kaliah, you prayed and you said, God said, go to Kaliah and deliver them. And you asked your men and they said, we're all afraid. No, I'm sure you're wrong, go back and pray again. And David went back and God said, yes, said, you are to go. This is my fight and you will have victory. He told the guys they went down. And so David has, has been this guy sensitive to the will of the Lord. There was no prayer in this. Jesus, out of His own wrath, going, "No, you're you're not that kind of guy. There is not evil found in you throughout your days." Did you hear this? Her perspective of David is, "You're you're this wonderful guy, that you're going to be a king forever and ever. Your kingdom's going to last forever and ever." God, you only fight the battles when you know you're in the will of God to do so. There's no evil in you, nor will there ever be any wickedness found in you all your days. Wow. You see, is that Abigail's perception of David? No, she didn't really know him. Was it Saul's perception of David? Was it Nabal's perception of David? Was it David's perception of David? The fact is, is this is God. She's saying, this is how God is looking at you. What's it say in the Proverbs 23, 7? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You're this amazing example to all of us. God's hand is on you in a unique way. All your enemies are gonna be slung out like out of the sling before You. And then in verse 29, she states the truth about Saul. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be found, bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies, whether it's a Saul, a Nabal, or anybody else, he will sling out as a pocket of a sling. You know what? You're, 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 you're under a lot of pressure You got the devil on your heels through this guy, Saul. And and out of this pressure, you're, you're making a very bad decision. And then she begins to prophesy. There in verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. Man, is she just laying it out? Look. Without a vision, what? People perish, go awry, make big mistakes. She's telling him what the Lord has said, and she's even prophesying of more things. She's saying, God's hand is on you. You are going to become king, and you're going to be a kingdom that endures forever. And she's prophesying, whether she knows it or not. In 1 Corinthians fourteen, three. It says when somebody prophesies, he speaks, number one, edification, number two, exhortation, or number three, comfort to men. Boy, as she is speaking these words. It's, it's healing to David. It's prophecy for edification and comfort, and, and he's being exhorted to get his eyes back on God and to see himself as God sees him reminding him of these promises paul did this to timothy in 1 timothy 1:18 paul says timothy you're struggling you're falling apart there but you need to remember the prophecies that were previously made concerning you and by those words of prophecy you may wage the good warfare god does that he speaks into our hearts where eventually he's going to take us and use us and accomplish. And so when you're in the middle of the battle, when you're in a heated moment, when you're struggling with your flesh or your marriage or your finances or whatever it is, that that you can say, ah, there's the North Star. God's spoken concerning me, things yet to come. And there to walk according to the faith in his word of prophecy. And then in verse 31 So stop this action, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. And then she says, but when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So in essence, she's saying here, If you go through with this, you're you're thinking like this is just going to be a tiny little blip that everybody will forget about. And she says, no. She says, you going down and killing these bunch of farmers. I mean, think of this. 400 trained, well-armed soldiers going down against a bunch of drunken people and Nabal and all these farmers and gardeners and servants that don't have any weapons at all probably or very little And he goes down there like Saul went to Nob and just wipes them all out. And the the word goes out, don't ever disrespect King David. He'll not just kill you, he'll kill your babies and anybody who's a male in your entire family. He's gonna wipe them all out. She's saying, if you do that, that black cloud is always gonna be over you. That when you're sitting on the throne and God has done this thing, it's not going to have the luster that it would have had. It's not going to have the joy that it should have had. Boy, is that true about choices, guys? A second and a moment, we're not walking in the spirit, we're walking in the flesh, and those couple of hours have changed the course of the future of, of your life. David there, notice in verse 32 here, David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. This isn't just the wife of Nabal coming out, trying to talk me out of something. God is using you in my life. And God has spoken through you to me. I mean, I am sure when David, his testosterone, his anger, and all these guys, and they're getting their horses going fast and they're clanging and they're screaming and they see somebody there and, and oh, this person bowing down, he just wants to go around the person and keep going. Boy, it's hard when you're in the flesh to put on the brakes, isn't it? This is, it just, oh man, if she wasn't so beautiful, I probably wouldn't have stopped. But God's using her beauty and God's using her humility and God's using her wisdom and Oh, what do you have to say? Hurry up! I'm in a hurry. I gotta go. What do you want? And then, as she's talking, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is—oh, adrenaline is depleting. You know, the testosterone is 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 lessening. Okay, what? What? Oh my goodness! I was so in the flesh. I I could only see red and. I could only see death and I could only see getting even and bringing vengeance. Somebody disrespected me, but you, God has used you. And she goes on in verse 33 to say, and blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. That's what I was doing, wasn't it? I thought I was setting the record straight. I thought I was doing the righteous thing by letting this guy know not to do that to anybody like this in authority ever again. I am authority. I'm going to be the king. And, and I realized now, oh my goodness, vengeance is mine. I will repay what sin I was getting ready to commit. I didn't even see it as a sin. I just thought it was, it was righteous what I was doing. I realized now I, I was being as wicked as Saul. For indeed, as the Lord, your God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. And David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I've heeded your voice and I've respected your person. Listen, guys, we all act foolishly at times. It's just ridiculous and it's horrible but there's a big difference in being foolish and being a fool what is the difference solomon through learning the tutelage from his father david has many proverbs on this let's look at several of them here in proverbs 12:15 the way of the fool Is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. David is being foolish, but he proved himself not to be a fool. How is that? Because he just said, okay, that's great, that's your opinion. Yes, I could think that way, but I'm not, get out of my way. (sighs) He stopped. He heeded the counsel. I've respected your words, I've respected your voice, I've respected your person. David could hear the words of wisdom and it delighted his heart. That's the sign of a wise man, not a fool. In Proverbs 9, 7, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms or other translations, injures, insults, shames, dishonors himself. One translation said gets a scar for himself, but I can't find it. So it must be my translation. Um, so, if you go to correct somebody being foolish, you're gonna qu- find out pretty quick whether they are a fool or a wise man because as you begin to share with them your opinion maybe, maybe it's just your opinion, but either way, they're unwilling to listen and the fact that you're pointing out a flaw, a weakness, a sin in their life, they're gonna hurt you because you just hurt them. You see, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wise man says, yes, you, you drew blood, but thank you, you see. But yet, if you do that for a fool, they're going to get angry at you and they're going to start bad-mouthing you and they're going to try to cause harm to your life because you dare told them about a weakness and, and something in their life they need to stop and start or, or repent from. You're going to pay the price. I think that's maybe what happened with Abigail. I think maybe she just got beat up too many times by Nabal when she tried to give him some wisdom. But think of the opposite with David. He gave her blessings and praise. And in Proverbs 9 8, do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will what? Love you. A rebuke. We're talking confronting, saying you're wrong. You're in sin, the way you're acting, what you're doing. And it's hard for anybody to hear, huh? But when they hear it and they're going, thank you. I know that was so hard for you. I didn't sleep all night. Yeah, I, I was, had have an eight for two days. My stomach's hurting and it's like, oh, I love you. I know that took so much for you to wound me and I appreciate it. And Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Don't let a fool even overhear your conversation. It's just gonna go, oh, these bunch of idiots. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. What's worse than a fool? The guy who just says, My opinion is right every single time. My view of life is right every single time. Every word I speak is perfect every time. There's no room for him to grow or change. Everybody just needs to listen to him and, and, and do what he wants and, and then everybody will be right, like me. <laughs> In Proverbs 27:3, a stone is heavy, sand is weighty. Anybody ever pick up a big sack of sand? Man, it is hard, it is heavy. But a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Proverbs 27, 22, Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. So put him in the cruncher, put him in the smasher. (laughs) You beat him with a pole. And guess what? Doesn't help a lick. He just keeps growing more and more foolish. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool, than for him. Well, where is this to happen? Guess what? The Bible says, at church. God's given, he says. And in Hebrews 12, he's like, all of us need to see this and strengthen one another. And the hands that hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight the pass. And then in Hebrews 3, verse 12, he says, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another, what? Daily. Daily. Like Abigail, she didn't wait. She did it that day. Boy, she needed to do it that day. Why, it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Had David had a son go down on his anger, <laughs> his hardness would have hardened in a deeper way. And maybe not listen to Abigail. But she dealt with it that day. And she brought him out of his wicked estate. Out of his evil thinking. And this is what God has done. He's given us each other. In Ephesians 4 verse 11. It says he's given himself. Some to be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. Some pastors and teachers. So right now this is God ordained. God's going to speak stuff in the congregation. Through the various leaders that it's gonna become a part of your maturity. It's only gonna happen in this venue. For equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in what? Love may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. You know, guys, this is especially true in the last days. In Hebrews 10 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider one another in order to what? Stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So much more, as you see the day approaching. When are we to consider one another? When are we to provoke, irritate? That's the word steer, stirring up one another. When's this to happen? At church. And so, this is what he's saying. This is God's, in these last days, it's gonna get harder to go to church. It's gonna get harder to be the church. It's gonna be harder to pursue the things of God because of the lawlessness of this world, the sinfulness of the world, as we're getting close to the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, our hearts are going to keep wanting to grow cold and worldly, and we're, God, it's going to be a constant fight. So tell the church, it's going to get harder. It's going to take more effort. It's going to take more focus for you to come and, and with the attitude of, Lord, use me in the congregation. Lord, I'm praying for church tomorrow. I'm praying for church next week. I'm praying for Wednesday night Bible study. Lord, yes, I, that person's on my heart. Lord, I'm praying for them. Yes, I, I've heard they're struggling over here. I'm praying for them. And now it's, Lord, speak to me. What is it? How can I help them? And God begins to speak to you as you're in the Word, or maybe through the sermons, and and you come up and you say to that person, "Man, you've been on my heart. This is the verse that God's encouraged me with," and He's. Wants it for you and your life too. And love them and pray for them. And, and that's what it's not. Well, I'll go to church as long as I can get there late and leave early. And I don't have to talk to a lot of people. And, you know. we got to kill that. That's part of the end times sluggishness. It actually says in the last days that Satan and the demons are going to have Widen the boundaries of what they can do in attacking us. Says, now the spirit expressly says, emphatically, jumping up and down says, guys, it's going to be different in the last days. Because in that time, some will depart from the faith because of these things that have never been heard before, but they're being heard now. Giving heed to these deceiving spirits and these doctrines of demons. It's going to be deceptive even to the believers. The Bible makes it clear before the coming of Christ, there's gonna be an apostasia, a great falling away of the church. In Luke 21, 34 to 36, it says, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, that day come on upon you unexpectedly. Watch, he says there, for it has come as a snare, all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. In Matthew 24:10 to 13, and then many will be offended, betray one another, will hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and deceive many, and because of lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. God is needing you. You are a part. The whole church is not just a foot or an ear or a hand, right? Any one of the parts of the body separated by itself is scary, right? I found a foot. Ah! But if all of us are here, not a leg missing. We're on our crutches because the leg isn't coming to church. That all the Abigails are being Abigails, all of us, being wise, being led by the Spirit. and we understand the urgency. the Lord's return is near. There's doctrines of demons, and these last days people are going to want to get their ears tickled. I need to realize that it's going to come in a day and an hour we know not of. And before that, there's going to be an apostasia, not in my church. You see? I hear the words of the Lord. I need to watch and I'd be praying. I need to to have a serious heart towards the things of God because people are heading in their own flesh. Even believers getting weighed down the things that believers normally don't get weighed down with, drunkenness and just the cares of this life. I'm so busy with all of my stuff to try to keep up with everything. And all of a sudden that day come unexpectedly and they're not ready. Well, ending this here, in verse 36 to 38, Abigail goes back and she tells Nabal this almost happened. He basically goes into shock. And for 10 days, he lies still. And then it says, the Lord, it says in verse 38, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Wow, what do you think that did to Nathan? Or what do you think that did to David? Somebody disrespected me. And the Lord killed him. Wow. Man, God really is doing it. I don't have to do it. I'm not going to perfect in my flesh what God's doing by the Spirit. And this is, the Bible just couldn't be clear where where he says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but give place to wrath. for it's written, vengeance is mine. I, what? Will repay, says the Lord. I'm not hypothetically saying I, I might strike some. No, you are the Lord's anointed. All of God's people are the Lord's anointed. And we need to realize that God eventually in his time and in his way, he's gonna deal with it. As for us, just keep humbling yourself and being the lowliest of the servants. Let God work it out. Just like Jesus to this we're called, who didn't revile back, didn't curse back, didn't threaten back, but he just committed it to the Father This is what David's gonna do from this point forward when people try to destroy him or his own son tries to kill him and get him off the throne. And each time he just commits it to the father. You put me here, you're gonna keep me here. God, you lift up and God, you bring down. It's all in your hands. Such a beautiful heart of faith. And then in verse 39 to 44, when Nabal drops dead, the word gets out. The the message isn't David got mad and killed people. It's don't disrespect David because God will kill you. God's hand is on this guy. And and then what happened was um, Abigail now became free to marry. And so David married her and became one of his wives. And then David gets the word that Saul, his father-in-law, gave David's wife away to another man, Palti, which he had no right to do, but it's going to become important in the later times. Well, let's pray. Lord, we come before you now, and we know there's a real work here you're doing in our hearts and in our minds, and there's a principle that you're driving home to us so powerfully, so clearly. And we, we realize, Lord, we need to be that wise person that Abigail was. We need to stand between men and their sinfulness and to stop them from continuing on in their destructive ways, their sinful ways, their hurtful ways, with a humble heart, being the salt of the world, being the light of the world, men seeing our good works and glorifying you. Lord, help us to get the sluggishness out. Help us to shake off this last day's spirit of just not wanting to to be pursuing you and in the church and encouraging one another and being a part of one another's lives like you want us to be. Lord, we just come before you now because there's some here today that really do need the touch. This message was Abigail to them right now. If you're here today and you realize that you have been unable, you've been foolish and you've not listened to wisdom over and over again, you've pounded people and injured people for your words, for their words of wisdom. You were right in your own eyes and you say, I'm not anymore. I need Christ in my life just right now. God, forgive me. God, heal me. Whether you're in this room or hearing it on the radio or through uh, the internet in some way, just right now, God has appointed this time for you to be drawn unto Jesus. Say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Through your death and resurrection, by your blood and your body, I am healed and I receive that sacrifice and the gift of salvation. And now I yield myself to Follow you through your word. Give me a hunger for your word, a thirst for prayer. Draw me nearer to you, Jesus. I want to be that king you have called me to be. I want to be that priest that you've called me to be. Cleanse me, heal me, wash me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand and we'll close with this song.